Certain, certain circumstances Are things I could not understand Many times in trials Weakness blurs my vision And my frustration gets so out of hand Just then I am reminded I've never been forsaken I've never had to stand the test alone As I look at all the victories The Spirit rises up in me It's through the fire my weakness is made strong He never promised that the cross would not get heavy Or the hill would not be hard to Let's go to uh, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, Amos chapter 7, verse 14 and 15. This is where we're going to uh, take a look at a very important biblical principle. I was not expecting you to say Amos. Really? When you were like one of my favorites, I was like, oh, Daniel, a revelation. Here we go. And, and, and you don't think I appreciate the book of Amos? Well, it's definitely not in the top 10 that I was picked for you to be appreciating. Okay. Huh? I'm sure you appreciate it, just, you know. No, Amos is awesome. I am, particularly this passage in Amos. All right. Um, chapter 7, verse 14 and 15. Please, Mon. 
But Amos replied, I'm not a professional prophet, and I was never trained to be one. I'm just a shepherd, and I take care of sycamore fig trees. But the Lord called me away from my flock and told me, go and prophesy to my people in Israel. There you go. All right. So um, I find this interesting. He was not a professional prophet and he wasn't trained to be one. Like I'm just wondering guy. how you go to school to become a prophet. I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, you can train to be a prophet. Well, there was the thing called the School of the, the prophets, prophets, you know. Yeah. And this is where you have a little bit of crossover in um, the, you know, ancient language and usage between the gift of prophecy and the work of prophesying. And so... Somebody in ancient times who was a preacher, when you stand up to preach, it was often called prophesying. Mm. Uh, whereas in actual fact, it was, you know, a lot of the time it's just referring to preaching. Whereas the gift of prophecy is somebody that uh, receives a very, very special gift. And as a result of receiving that gift, they have, um, you know, divine intervention from God who gives them uh, guidance and counsel and speaks directly to them. They become a mouth, mouthpiece for God. Okay, so what were this guy's qualifications to become uh, the prophet for the nation of Israel? Uh, the Lord called him away from his flock. And told him to go prophesy to the people in Israel. Okay, so does that sound like good qualifications to you? I mean, if you were going to become the spiritual leader for Australia, uh, do would we go and find a drover? Essentially, it was a drover. It, ah, well, he also took care of sycamore fig trees, so he was a drover and an orchardist. Uh, it wouldn't be my first pick, no. <laughs> okay, so where would you start finding a spiritual leader for Australia? In a church. Uh-huh. And what kind of qualifications would you be looking for? Probably some sort of theology degree, divinity studies, something like that. Okay, so, yeah. Um, Religious liberty studies. Uh-huh, 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 yeah. And, you know, maybe a PhD or a DD or... Something like that. Um, yeah, some other kind of D. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yep. You know I have a PhD. Oh, do you? Uh-huh. Yeah? Yep, Absolutely. What in? Uh, I have I have post hole digger. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> <laughs> now, PhD is a post hole digger. No, um, but it uh, it's significant here. Okay, so let's think about this for a moment. When you go through, because he's he kind of writes it down here. Like I was I was I was never a prophet. I wasn't the son of a prophet. Um, I wasn't trained to be a prophet. I was I was a shepherd, and I took fair care of Sigmund. Uh, fig trees. That was that was my job. A shepherd and an orchardist. Um, and he states this almost like as it's, it's a little bit unusual. But is that actually unusual when you read the biblical account? No. Okay. So find for me how many how many um, prophets do we have in the Bible? And name some of the prophets or in the Bible who had a formal education. Like none of them? No, there were some. Really? Yeah. They were, hang on. Like when I think of School of Prophets, <clears throat> I think like someone who's been called and then they go off to the school. I don't think someone who goes to the school and then gets their calling. Sure. But wouldn't God choose to call somebody who had been to school and got qualifications and who was a theologian? Wouldn't God preference a theologian over a nobody like Amos? 
I mean, not really. God seems to have a back back catalogue of doing this. He like anoints shepherd boys to be kings and this kind of stuff. Gets people who are like threshing wheat and doing wine press in secret to lead armies. It seems to be his mo. I mean, I mean, even Saul, even though Saul was a bit, ended up being a bit of a, a bit of a downer, he was just some guy in a crowd. I feel like almost none of the people that God's called have been professionals or highly trained or PhD totem characters. Did you know that King Saul was a prophet? I did, but I forgot. There you go. Yeah, there's a piece of trivia that uh, very few people actually uh, realize that when Paul um, was called to be king, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Saul. Saul, sorry. Yeah, Saul and the King Saul. Mm-hmm. King Saul, not Paul. I'm getting Saul, my Saul's mixed up. But King Saul, when he was called to be king, uh, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says he had a conversion experience and he received the gift of prophecy. Kind of messed that up, didn't he? A big time. Big time. Very sadly. Very, very sadly. Okay, so when I read my Bible, this is what I find. I find that the Bible story is actually vastly different from Christianity today. And it does disturb me somewhat. We read about the schools of the prophets. We know they existed. We know that they did a tremendously good work. And uh, they were one of the ways that you know God was able to communicate his will to the people back in the day, particularly during the days of very deep and dark apostasy, uh, say in northern Israel, because uh, you'll remember that the northern nation of Israel went into apostasy and never ever came out. And sometimes we look at that northern nation and go, there wasn't a single solitary person. We just assume there wasn't a single solitary follower of God there. But then we find, you know, in the time of Elijah, where Elijah's like, I'm the only one left. You know, yeah, sure, there's some people down in Judah that follow God, but here in Israel, there is no one that follows God. And uh, God comes like, yeah, no, actually, you're wrong. There's 7,000 in this nation uh, that follow me. And then you continue on in the story, and you find that there's a man by the name of Obadiah. And Obadiah is a righteous man and a follower of God as well. And Obadiah had actually hidden prophets away, about a hundred of them, in two caves. He'd hidden them away from Queen Jezebel because she was trying to kill every follower of God that there was left in the nation of Israel. It was very, very severe persecution against followers of God at this particular time. And so we look at that northern nation of Israel and it's like, yep, no, there wasn't any followers of God there. But there was actually, there was just never any leadership who followed God. You know, the whole story of Hosea. Hosea was called to be a prophet. Hosea, Elisha, Elijah, you know, these were all called to be prophets to the northern nation of Israel. And, of course, Elisha had, you know, had the schools. He, he ran schools like Arise and, and, and this kind of thing, um, the schools of the prophets. And he would, you know, travel to the various schools of the prophets where he would teach and preach and, you know, disseminate the word of God, which is, a, which is an incredibly important thing because the most powerful... Um, the most powerful force in the world is education. Yeah, I believe that. That's true. There is no question. Yeah. There is nothing more powerful than education. We often look at different ways that we want to change the world, like we want to change the world, we want to form a, a lobby group, or we want to Everything get a petition, or, or we want to stand up and preach a, a series of sermons or something like that. But if you really want to change the world, you change the educational system, and in one generation you've changed the world. Listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. 
And of course, Elisha, who received double the spirit of Elijah, that's what he does. He establishes schools and he starts educating young people um, in the service of God. And it, uh, you know, it does a tremendous work in holding back the forces of darkness, the forces of Satan there in that northern, in that northern nation. But when we uh, continue to look at this, uh, this subject right here, there is one great standout theologian in the Bible. Ooh, who's that? Who had a formal education. Oh, is it Paul? Paul, absolutely. Um, I knew you'd figure that one out. And so the Apostle Paul, and he did a tremendous job. Uh, He wrote a large portion of the New Testament. He didn't write all of it. He didn't write the majority of it by any stretch of the imagination, but he wrote some very important and significant books. Uh, The other thing that I find about Paul is that when you look at what Peter had to say about him, who was a fisherman, Peter said that with Paul was hard to understand. I can see why. (laughs) Okay. And we can all see why today. Nearly all of the debate that exists within Christianity, I would say, and this is just my opinion, and I'm going to pull a figure out of thin air here and I'm going to be right uh, because I'm right and I just think I am. Um, (laughs) No, but I would say that probably 70% of the debate that we have in Christianity over theology is centered on the writings of Paul. Yeah, I'd agree with you. Now, when you when you think about that, um, you know, Paul was probably one of our most valuable Bible authors, but the most controversial as well. And sometimes I think, you know, if everyone had just been a simple fisherman like Peter and John and these guys, we'd have a whole lot less debate. Yeah, I think but theologians the time, should be very grateful for Paul because without Paul, they wouldn't have anything to argue about. It's kind of like that, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and they wouldn't have a uh, justification for existence. <laughs> that's it. They just have to get but on they with have the Paul. <laughs> and so they can justify their existence. And that's good. Because we need theologians. And we need people who love the intellectual side of Christianity. Yes. Intellectual Christianity has been demonized. It has, hasn't it? Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, it's all about the relationship, the relationship, the relationship. And in the last 150 years, we have emphasized the relational aspect of Christianity. And that is incredibly important. But in doing so, we have demonized the theological aspect and the intellectual aspect of Christianity. Which is sad because it's often sometimes the, uh, the theological uh, folk who, who can draw out the most beautiful um, lessons from the Bible. Absolutely. They say the most beautiful quotes. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is so true. And, and we've also marginalized a whole group within Christianity who connect with God on an intellectual level. Mm. And it is not wrong to connect with God on an intellectual level. We have sort of looked at it as being wrong, but it is not wrong. There are many different ways. People connect with God in different ways, and people have a relationship with God in many different ways. And some people have a relationship with God uh, through uh, uh, an, an intellectual connection. Okay, so when we look at uh, this particular um, individual right here, we have somebody who's actually the norm. He doesn't feel like he's the norm, that's obvious, but he actually is the norm in that God has chosen him. He, is, he would not be the norm today. No. Um, this person would struggle, Amos would struggle to find employment uh, in any church today. 
In fact, if you go through the Bible, if you look at the disciples, and I have actually, a, a, I'm going to read this to you. Can I read? I'm going to read something. Go on. It's a, it's it's a, it's it's a bit of a tongue in cheek. It's a bit fun. It's a bit of an illustration, but it kind of highlights a really important point. Okay. Uh, because you know, often we 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 place all of these human um, requirements on anybody that we will put into you know this job or that job or the other job, whereas you know the greatest requirement for ministry is a BA and not one that you get from uh, an institution, but one that you get from God, and that is being born again. Amen. We need to be born again. Okay, so uh, the subject here is disciple recruitment. And the issue at stake is that Jesus has come down to this earth. He has been commissioned by uh, God the Father to start a new global religion. So he has arrived on earth and he has uh, started to find people to recruit. He's like, okay, this is a big task. I've got to affect the entire planet for the next 2,000 years. Um, this is this is no this is no small uh, project that I'm taking on at this particular point. This is going to uh, this is going to be something big. And so, all right, where do I start now? Think, place yourself in Jesus' shoes. Let's say that somebody comes to you and says, "I want you to start a new global religion that will affect the world for the next two thousand years." Um, you're going to look for some people of uh, of pretty high qualifications oh, and skill. Yeah, like in marketing right. and PR. And <laughs> so, it's a memo to Jesus, Jesus, son of Joseph. Woodcrafters of Nazareth. It is from the Jordan Jordan Management Consultants in Jerusalem. <laughs> it says this. Thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you have picked for management positions in your new organization. All of them have completed our battery of tests. And we have not only run the results through our computer, but have also arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychological and vocational aptitude consultant. The profiles of all tested are included. You will want to study them carefully as a part of our service and for your guidance. Allow us some general comments, much as an auditor would make uh, general statements. This is a result of staff consultation and without an additional fee. Okay, so this is going to be fun, right? <laughs> yeah, it is, the, it is the staff opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in education and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. They do not have the team concept. We would recommend that you continue your search for educated persons of experience in managerial ability and proven capacity. <laughs> Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. He speaks his mind often without considering the consequences. He has radical left-wing political leanings with connections to a dangerous terrorist organization called the Zealots. <laughs> he was found to be carrying a concealed weapon at his interview. <laughs> Andrew is a natural follower and has absolutely no leadership qualities. The two brothers, James and John, place personal interest above company loyalty. Both have a violent reputation and dysfunctional parents. Thomas suffers from depression and mental instability. He has a concrete worldview and lacks the capacity for conceptual thought. Nathaniel is a loner and demonstrates a questioning attitude that would undermine morale. Bartholomew is racist and displays an unfounded elitist attitude. 
Philip is short-sighted and lacking in vision. We feel further that it is our duty to tell you that Matthew has extreme right-wing political alliances. The Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau has blacklisted him as a result of known criminal associations, accusations of fraud and racketeering. James, the son of Althus, and Thaddeus both registered a high score on the manic depressive scale. Okay, so when, when we read this through, it is kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but at the same time, it does it does point out it that really does. That it's, it makes a point here. It continues on. It's not finished yet. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. <laughs> He's a man of ability and resourcefulness, meets people well, and has a keen business mind and has contacts in high places. He's highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. He holds a bachelor's degree in theology and a master's degree in accounting. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. The enterprise you are undertaking is ambitious to say the least. We wish you every success. Okay, wow. let's stop and think about this. Yes. Jesus had one and only one disciple who had formal education and qualifications, and which one was the one that let him down the most? Yeah, Judas. Judas was wearing The simple off. reality is that none of these men right here, none of the disciples outside of Judas, and even Jesus himself could gain employment in the vast majority of Christian churches, our church included today. That's right. And that's a little bit scary. Um, although we do have a few P- PNDs around. You know what PND is? <laughs> PNDs. What's PND. That? Yeah. I'm a PND. What's a PND? Pastor, no, pastor, no degree. <laughs> I love it. But, you know, some people look down on me about that. I hold my head high because I am in good company when I look at the people that Jesus chose for his followers. This is- <laughs> Here 
the die, he said, peace be still. And the winds have laid, he said, where's your faith? Why were you so afraid? When they saw that the sea was calm and clear, they said, thank you, God, there's a man in here. There's a man in here who turns water to wine, and he walks on the water and gives sign to back life to the ones that's dead and he fed five thousand with seven loaves of bread there's a man in here who makes demons flee who makes cripples walk and has chosen even me for he lives in my heart and I have no fear I'm a better man cause there's a man in Amos chapter 1 and verse 3, please. Amos chapter 1 and verse 3. Happy thoughts, happy thoughts, happy thoughts. Yeah, you're about Love to, being alive. You're about to read happening. Amos. You do know what Amos is about, right? God's judgment on Israel's neighbors. Ah, uh, yes, and uh, but that's only the intro. Okay, read for us verse 3. This is what the Lord says. The people of Damascus have sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished. They beat down my people in Gilead as grain is threshed with iron sledges. Well, I have an iron sledge inside my brain right now. I know exactly how that feels. And it's bashing backwards and forwards, right? Oh, it hurts so much. Okay, so, um, of course, here Amos continues to go on, and he lists the sins, the crimes, the outrages, the atrocities of places like Philistia, Syria, Phoenicia, Edom, Ammon, and Moab. And often these were crimes that were being perpetrated against Israel, they were being perpetrated against nations around them. This was a society and this was a time when these atrocities would often go unchecked and unpunished. And Amos stands up on his soapbox and he lists their sins and he states that God will step in. God will intervene and God will judge these nations for what they are actually doing. That God will not stand back forever and just let it continue on. That must have been good news for the Israelites, wouldn't you think? Oh, absolutely. I was just thinking, man, that'd be awesome to hear. Be a very patriotic, patriotic speech God's to make. God's got you back and he's yeah, uh-huh. looking after you. Uh-huh. All right, let's go over then to the rest of the book, shall we? Yeah. Amos chapter 3, starting in verse 9, 9, 10, and 11, if you could read that for us, please. Amos 3, verse 9, 10, and 11. Announce this to the leaders of Philistia and to the great ones of Egypt. Take your seats now on the hills around Samaria and witness the chaos and oppression in Israel. My people have forgotten how to do right, says the Lord. Their fortresses are filled with wealth taken by theft and violence. Therefore, says the sovereign Lord, an enemy is coming. He will surround them and shatter their defenses. Then he will plunder all their fortresses. Okay, so you are a prophet. You have been called um, to be a prophet. Uh, from being a shepherd, you stand up on your soapbox in the middle of the city of Samaria in the nation of Israel, and you talk about the atrocities of the surrounding nations, and they're like, yeah, 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 and how God would judge them, and everyone's like, yeah, 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 and now what does he say? No, he's now He's like, all you guys that are doing atrocities, take a seat. Yeah. 
because we're doing it worse than you can learn from us. Yeah. If yeah. you want to find out how to do bad atrocities, you can actually learn from us. Mm-hmm. How do you think the nation of Israel is feeling now? You know, I think they probably realize they've been served a lesson. Yeah. Let's go to chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Turning over pages. Four, Listen to me, you fat cows living in Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy, and who are always calling to your husbands, bring us another drink. The Lord, the Sovereign Lord has sworn this by His holiness. The time will come when you will be led away with hooks in your noses. Every last one of you will be dragged away like a fish on a hook. I'm just wondering how I would get along in church if I stood up and addressed uh, the women in my church as fat fat cows. cows. (laughs) 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 Now, of course, that phrase does have a probably a different meaning meaning today, but I don't think it's any less offensive. Yeah, true. Different in his days and our days. Different meaning, different age. But Amos is not holding back here, is he? Definitely not. He's like, you guys are committing absolute atrocities and it needs to be called out. And so he stands up on his soapbox there in the city of Samaria and he absolutely calls out the oppression that these Israelite women are perpetrating on, um, you know, those that those that were vulnerable people in society. Yeah, they sound horrible. I mean, like, when he calls them fat cows, it's a bit funny. When they bring another drink, it sounds a bit funny too. But Well, they're alcoholics as well, you know. Yeah. Wow. But when it says they oppress the poor and crush the needy, it kind of makes me like, what kind of women are these? Like, who would do that? Who yeah. Would, who, would, who would oppress the poor and crush the needy? And to be get that bad, you think you have to think that it had to be generational. Yeah, exactly. Because you, 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 this is not what this is not the natural ordinary person just goes out and says, you know what, I'm going to be a psychopath. Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, think about it. You know, women are usually you know have a reputation of being the gentler, you know, kinder, more relational um, of of the two genders, and they you know have more of a heart. Yeah, you know, they're, more, they're the ones who are out there running the soup kitchens, and you know, and you know, being Mother Teresa, so to speak, and Florence Nightingales. But it's for the women. Like, you know, sure, when men go down the gurgler, you know, they're off like, you know, being Hitlers and, and, and despots and whatever. But when the women of the society have gotten to the point where even they're oppressing the poor and crushing the needy, it makes you think, man, this whole society must just have gone down the gurgler. Big time. And I think that's why he's actually highlighting the women. Yeah. Is because, um, yeah, as you say. Anyway, chapter 5, verse 10 through 15. Let's have those verses. How you hate honest judges, how you despise people who tell the truth. You trample the poor, stealing their grain through taxes and unfair rent. Therefore, though you build beautiful stone houses, you will never live in them. Though you plant lush vineyards, you will never drink wine from them. For I know the vast number of your sins and the depth of your rebellions. You oppress good people by taking bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. So those... Who are smart keep their mouths shut, for it is an evil time. Do what is good and run from evil so that you may live. Then the Lord God of heaven's armies will be your helper, just as you have claimed. Hate evil and love what is good. Turn your, your courts into true halls of justice. Perhaps even yet the Lord God of heaven's armies will have mercy on the remnant of his people. He's not really holding back here, is he? No. He is absolutely coming out and just, you know, listing their sins. And it's interesting how, you know, he talks about a society that is soaked in corruption. Mm. As a result of that, yes, they've become wealthy. 
they are planting vineyards, they are building beautiful homes for themselves, um, and it's like all this ill-gotten gain, it's going to be worthless to you. Yeah. It's not going to do you a shred of good. All right, finally we are going to read uh, chapter 8, verse 4. To, well, actually, no, I'm going to – I need to finish off on uh, – because you, you start to get the impression here that all that uh, Amos is doing is beating up on God's people. So I'm going to read a couple of other verses here. Um, this is chapter from chapter 5 and verse 24. Why don't you read that one for us? Chapter 5, verse 24. Yeah, 5, verse 24. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. I like how it says in this translation, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. And then, of course, when you come down to the end of Amos, the whole last chapter, or particularly the last part of the last chapter, is, uh, is a song of victory, really. And so Amos is laying it before them. You have these options here. Um, you know, you have the future restoration of God's people. Um, you know, this is, might be the hour of your deepest apostasy and greatest need, but God's message is one of forgiveness and hope.
The Breakfast Show, bits you may have missed. And hey, Lawson, tell us what's happening around the world. What's happening around the world? Well, first, Monica, mm-hmm. have you ever looked up into the into the sky at the mm-hmm. stars and said, "Man, I'd love to live there one day." Live in the stars. Like, 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 li- live in live in space. No, I'm actually. I would never go to space. You'd never go to space. No, you could offer me all the money in the world. I would never get in a rocket and go to space. Well, I'll tell you what. Like for me, you know, we have this this promise of going to heaven. Uh huh. I'll and, do that. And, and Jesus coming soon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if Jesus is running the rocket, then for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but um, some people are trying to to jump the gun a little bit and get into space bef- before Jesus comes to to stru- to try and establish a country up there that that isn't. The kingdom of heaven. Oh, really? Yeah, it's it's pretty hectic. It's actually this country. It's founded by a Russian billionaire named Igor Ashubeli, uh-huh. and it's called Asgardia. Are you serious? I'm I'm a hundred percent dead set. Are you? You know where that name comes from, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, this this is this is amazing because. <laughs> I think it was yesterday or the day before they actually had the inauguration service for Asgardia. Um, this guy who's sort of funded and founded Asgardia, Igor Ashabelli, they swore him in as the uh, the leader of Asgardia, and man, they're just they're just moving forward. Really, it's unbelievable. They've already got two hundred thousand people who've signed up to become a part become of a citizen Asgardia. Yeah. Just a quick question. Did it cost them to become a citizen? I'm not sure. I did go on the website last night and it looked like something that's kind of easy to do. So, I I actually don't think so. Oh, okay. But I did. I watched the video of the inauguration service. They had this choir of of young, you know, young women Mm -hmm. singing the Asgardian national anthem. There's a national anthem already. There's a national anthem already. And it was crazy, man. Like, (laughs) all these people, they're hyped for this space city. Uh Um, I got to say, though, this is 100% funded by this Russian billionaire, Igor Ashabelli. And if you're wondering, okay, where are are they in in the progress of thing? I've got a little picture here. This is like what they want to be in the future. And it kind of looks, I don't know if you've seen the movie Interstellar, but it kind of looks like, you know, a city with a glass dome around it floating in space. It Um, looks like a street in Brooklyn, New York. But in space. With the, yeah, but instead of having like a blue sky, it has like a black sky. Because it's in space. <laughs> With like planets in the distance. That's, uh, that's very interesting. So this is this is what they want to be. Uh-huh. But at the moment, they've currently only got one satellite that's that's floating around up in in Earth's space. orbit, uh-huh. in space. But they, uh, Igor said that by next year, he reckons he'll have what he calls a constellation. So a very large number of satellites. I'd like, really like to see where this goes. Yeah, okay, fine. He might have a constellation of satellites, but you can't live on a satellite. So when's he going to find a planet? Like, has he picked out a planet that, that Asgardia is supposed to be on? No, I think they're just trying to do the whole interstellar thing and just live. Well, interstellar, they try and find a planet, but before they get there, they just just live on this like circular space station and oh so it's a space station they're living on a space station well oh it's like it, it's science fiction it's like this world space station thingy but the point is is this is <laughs> this is just hectic man yeah. <laughs> this is just yeah. amazing you know there's actually like and like i said two hundred thousand people have already signed up 
to be a part of this movement. I th- do you know what? I actually think it's a little bit sad that you could have a billionaire who has nothing better to do with his money than 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 this. Well, he's not. He's not the first one. You know, you've got Elon Musk, um, founder of Tesla and uh, SpaceX as well. You know, they've been going hard at trying to get to the moon and establish something up there. There's a bunch of people who want to live on the moon. I couldn't imagine why. <laughs> like, what, what could you do on the moon that you couldn't do on the Earth? I feel like you could do a lot more on the Earth, to be honest, yeah, than on the moon. It's so much better. Like, the moon is just this orange rock in the middle of space, and then you've got this amazing, beautiful Earth full of life. Beautiful and- Earth. Yeah, exactly, compared to... I mean, is it orange? I thought it was, like, all grey. Oh, it's, you know, different color, different day. But I'm pretty sure it's, yeah, it's a gray-orange looking color.
Question of the day with Lyle and Mon. Hey, Lyle, it's time for Q of the D. Yes, what do we got? You ready, Freddie? I am ready. Okay, Q of the D is this. Is it actually a sin to do drugs? No. Like, it's not unhealthy. I mean, it's not healthy, but it's actually a sin. No. Okay, cool. So let's all go do drugs. Uh, because you're probably thinking, you're probably thinking about doing drugs right now, right? It's going yeah. through your head. I would love to do drugs right now. Um, I mean, I'd like to do some cookies right now. But <laughs> <laughs> You would love to do drugs right now because you have a headache, a massive splitting headache today. Yes, that's true. And we're all praying for Mon and feeling very, very sorry for her. Thanks. She's not feeling that great. Okay, so the answer is no um, when they are prescribed by your medical practitioner. Okay. Uh, we The way this question is written, I think the questioner is probably not talking about medicinal drugs. I suspect the questioner is talking about recreational drugs, and it is definitely wrong, according to the Bible, to do recreational drugs. Do you know the Bible talks a lot about recreational drugs? I did not. Oh, ah, yeah. Absolutely. Well, think about this. Alcohol. Is alcohol mentioned in the Bible? Oh, absolutely it is. And does the Bible say don't touch it? Oh, 100%. Does the Bible say it. don't drink it? Yeah. Does the Bible say don't look at it? Yes, it does. The Bible's pretty, pretty clear Very when clear. it comes to the issue of alcohol. And alcohol is a mind-altering addictive drug. Um, and we need to recognize it as such. Okay, but that's not the only bi- only uh, drug that is mentioned in the Bible. Uh, can you think of another one that might be mentioned? Uh, thinking, nicotine? Thinking, thinking, thinking. No, nicotine is not mentioned. It wasn't invented in uh, Bible times in Bible lands. Marijuana? Not marijuana. I'm blanking. Is it sugar? No, heroin. Oh, heroin. Yeah. Or really? opium. I should say opium. Okay, yeah, yeah, opiates. Yeah, yeah. Opioids. Uh, I think heroin's an opioid, isn't it? This comes yeah, from opium. Sure yeah, I'm pretty sure. I think that's how it works. Anyway, let's read it from Deuteronomy. Okay, so we're going back three and a half thousand years. This is the first books of the Bible ever to be written. These are the books of Moses. This is the original canon right here. And it says, Lest there should be among you a man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turns away this day from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations. Lest there should be among you a root that bears opium and wormwood. It actually says gall in the old English, but it's talking about opium here. Um, A poisonous and bitter herb. Uh, and so the Bible likens idolatry to the use of recreational drugs. Yeah, that's not great. So, that, so idolatry and drug taking, uh, recreational drug taking, kind of goes hand in hand. Okay, so you think about it. Uh, very simple question right here. Should a Christian ever involve themselves in something that is addictive? Definitely not. No, because a Christian should always aim to have self-control through the power of the Holy Spirit. And addiction by nature is something that removes self-control. And freedom. Self-control and freedom. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It takes away your freedom. You are you are chained to it. You can't get away from it. You are always you know, focused on and looking at when and where and how you can get your next fix. Um, and it just starts to completely rule and take over your entire life. Okay, so that's what the Bible says here. Don't even look at it. In fact, if you go over to um, the book of Revelation, the end of the Bible, um, right down near the end, the Bible talks about the fall of Babylon. And in Revelation chapter 18, uh, the Bible says, And the light of a candle shall be shine no more at in you. The voice of the bridegroom of the bride shall be heard no more at all in you. For your merchants were the great men of the earth. For by their sorceries, their pharmakia, their drugs, were all nations deceived. The Greek word there is pharmakia. It is the word for drugs. That's how 
Satan deceives the whole world at the end of time. You will see there a highway from God's own hand that will lead back the lost to the promised land. And the voice of the Savior will call us friends, saying, Join in the song of the Lord. We will call back our armies returned from war And we'll make into plowshares our useless swords Very soon to forget what they once were for When we join in the song of the Lord We will say in that day to the Lord give thanks We will not be afraid for He comes to save Shout, we will call every tribe and race. Come and join in the song of the Lord. You will see there a banquet for sinners spread, where we'll sit with the Lord at the table's head. And our shepherd himself is our wine and bread, and we'll join in the song of the Lord. Everybody, you listen to Faith FM 87.6, 87.8, or 88, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. This has been the best of's breakfast show with Lyle and Mon and other associated guests. And as we come to the end of the show, I just want to encourage you all remember to talk faith, live faith, act faith, and you will grow strong in Jesus Christ.
now. 